Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Danny Batten Fight Show. This is episode number 71 and uh, we'll be talking the latest MMA and boxing news plus of course uh, last night's fantastic UFC fight night including two top level performances from a couple of the UK's uh, highest rising talents in the world. And uh, we'll also be talking to another top guest from the combat sports world, which I'm very excited to do. Uh, as usual, you can get the video version of this show and all the other shows we do at Ace Podcast Nation, youtube.com slash Ace Podcast Nation. Please click that subscribe bell, uh, click the bell for notifications. You get a message every time we upload or we go live. And uh, you can also get the audio versions if you prefer your podcasts, if you prefer your podcasts, should I say, to listen. Uh, just search Ace Podcast Nation at your favourite podcast or radio platform and away you go. You could also ask Alexa, just say uh, Ace Podcast Nation and uh, she will bring up over 400 shows on various subjects. Uh, so there we go. Moving with the times and the technology, as it were. Ace Podcast Nation, of course, you're home to many uh, great shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts and more. So uh, on that note, let's introduce those top guests and expert analysts, or at least we will. But let's introduce Danny first, uh, former Cage Warriors champion, MMA legend. It is Mr. Daniel Button. Welcome, Danny. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm all good. Um, can't wait for tomorrow. As everyone will probably know, gyms are opening. So, yeah, bring it on. Let's get back to some kind of normality. Spot on, mate. It's been a, it's been a long road. It's been a long, long road. So uh, I'm sure our guest is happy about it as well. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome ex-professional MMA fighter, finished his career with a record of 10, 6 and 1. He's fought in Cage Rage, Cage Warriors and many others. He's the owner of Trojan Free Fighters, Mr. Paul Sutherland. Welcome, Paul. How are you, mate? Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm well, thanks. I hope you two are great as well. All good, mate. All good. We are good. uh, Looking to having a chat. But um, first and foremost, I want to talk 
we're going to get to the UFC last night. Look, I'm very excited to talk about it. We've had friend of friend of the show, Jack Shaw, had a, a blinded performance. Also had recent guest, a new friend of the show, Arnold Allen, blinding performance. It was superb. It was a very, very good card with a lot of really interesting uh, fights on it. I was very interested to see what Kevin Holland did in the main event after his Brunson fight the other day. Um, I thought he did quite a lot to redeem himself to a certain degree, at least with his kind of body language and being a bit more with it and, and a bit more urgency to his game. Look, his striking is is very, very good. His jiu-jitsu is very, very good. But his wrestling defence particularly, is it needs work. But there's potential there, Danny, isn't there? And I thought he did a good job of maybe just showing that the Brunson fight wasn't, you know, the best Kevin Holland. Yeah, he definitely was taking this one more serious. Um, but he does seem to have been found out <laughs> with a chink in his armour, and that is really the takedown defence. I mean, you just summed it up, really. He gives away his hips too, too easily. Um, he, he's got to start uh, making more of an understanding of the basics of MMA, because that's really what's MMA wrestling, which is really what's missing in his game. You know, he's... He's striking high and just leaving those hips gaping. And he's quite tall in division. So they're going to go and tackle in at his hips and his legs. And he's giving away that time and time again. He's got to address it. But his striking looks fluid. Uh, he has some spells off his back. But he really not or he fighting off his back at all. He should be really keeping it striking. But we'll see. See what happens yeah. in, in the next one. But he can't keep losing. That's two in a row now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... Um... Paul, we're going to talk about this in a bit more detail, detail a bit later. But we'll, it does seem with uh, Holland that he is—he's almost—he doesn't mind getting taken down from a wrestling point of view because he's so confident in his jiu-jitsu. But as we've seen in the Brunson fight and this fight last night, doesn't matter how good his jiu-jitsu is if he cannot defend the wrestling because he's just getting mauled as soon as he's taken down, and he's been taken down pretty easily, really. Yeah, I, I think uh, personally, I think to start off with, I think it's uh, a footwork and a distance management issue that he has. Because um, yeah. the way I look at it is your footwork and the, the way you control the distance and then your wrestling defense kind of like kicks in after that. But if you can't control the distance and you're lunging in on shots, then you're giving your hips away all the time. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think that that kind of needs addressing. And, and again, that's MMA wrestling, isn't it? Obviously... From the stand-up, it's, it's your footwork, controlling the distance, where you are on the cage, getting your back off the cage, circling out instead of throwing, you know, when you get your back to the cage. I think it's just things like that he probably needs, uh, obviously, as well as addressing his wrestling. Uh, to be fair, I mean, I think he's a great talent. Um, I also think that his jiu-jitsu is pretty good. And, and if you look at uh, when he was on his back, he wasn't taking that much damage, so his actual defence... Uh, from mm. a jiu-jitsu standpoint, from striking, isn't too bad. Um, I think he just, obviously, there's a blueprint of how to beat him. Um, he just needs to take some time, go away, and maybe go to another camp or something, and obviously show that up, you know. But I, I'm pretty sure he can be you know, really, really dangerous in that division if he does show that. Yeah, there's something. There's definitely something there. And like I say, we'll, uh, we'll get back to that. Um, one thing, or one of the news bits I want to touch on, Danny, is um, they announced... Uh, we speculated last week uh, on where would uh, they put Zhang Weili next. 
And uh, she is defending her title versus Rose Nama Yunus. And uh, Rose Nama Yunus wasted no time in making it quite personal uh, when she commented on, uh, she said, I'll quote her so I don't get it wrong. Uh, she said, um, basically, she doesn't hate Shang Wiley, but also made it very clear that uh, she Wiley represent Wiley doesn't represent her because she's a Chinese champion, and uh, she'd rather be dead than red. In uh, you know, is what it is, I suppose. Like I'm assuming she's referring to kind of China and communism and things like that, which politics don't always mix very well with combat sports. Let's be honest, but that's interesting routes to take because Zhang Wiley has proven that she is an absolute killer in that cage. And Rose Nama Yunus has shown, or there's been certain fights where, where she's taken a couple of big shots. She has crumbled a little bit under pressure, from pressure from the fight, I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's surprising that she's taken us through. I don't particularly like it when things that should stay outside of the fight, fight game get pulled in somehow, in some way. I think politics and people's opinions as such, there's a timing for that. And I just don't think it suits the sport very well, bringing things that in, like that in. To me, you're two combatants that you're fighting strategy against strategy, physicality against physicality, mind against mind. Um, all the other things, uh, I don't know, it just has no place. I, I just like cracking up the fights itself. I know sometimes you get fighters, they get a little bit personal, mention about family members and, yeah. and so on and so forth. I kind of get a bit of that banter, but yeah, I'm surprised she's gone down that route, to be honest. Yeah, and, that um, phrase, um, better red than dead, or better yeah. dead than red, sorry, is literally a slogan that was used in the Cold War in the 1950s, which is like, I don't know, in 2021, do we need to be going down that route? Probably not. Um, but also, I... <sighs> From purely from the fight point of view, I was interested that they put this fight together because if you remember last week when we were talking about the different ways they could go with Zhang Wiley, I said like the the Rose fight wasn't my preferred direction, and the main reason behind that is look when Rose Nama Yunus overcame, uh, I think it was Joanna John Jacek when Joanna was really personal about her mental health and stuff in the build up to the fight, and I remember you know when Rose beat her, I was so happy, I was really really um really on her side and really uh it was one of those moments where i was like shouting audibly at the tv as she won the title um i just can't see her beating Zhang wiley now that's no disrespect to rose nama Yunus because i don't see many people beating uh Zhang wiley but like i said she wasn't my preferred option shall we say how do you see the fight going, like early doors? Obviously, we'll do a, a pr proper preview closer to the time, but just first impressions, how do you see it going, Dan? I think, well, he's going to keep winning each round, and I think each round that goes by, she'll start winning more and more dominantly. It could be stopped at any time as well. She's got that kind of power and tenacity and skill about her, um, and so well-rounded. I just can't see Rose really finding a way through. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a real uphill struggle for her. Um, but who knows, you know, the women are really improving exponentially. Um, each time we see them fight, they're coming with new levels, new equipped attacks. So, you know, we can never write her off completely. But, you know, if I'm going to be pushed to go any either or way, it's got to be with one league. You know, she's she's just so impressive.
Yeah, for sure. Um, Paul, do you, how do you see that fight going? Um, and how impressed have you been with Zhang Wiley as well? Um, I'm impressed with both ladies, to be honest with you. Um, they both put uh, are putting really fantastic performances. I think this fight is going to be a little bit tighter than what people may think. I think Yang Wiley has the power edge, but Rose has got, you know, good boxing, good finesse behind her technique. And she has a really good coach in Trevor Whitman, who is a master at game planning. So I think they'll probably have something, uh, work a game plan very, very well for the fight. Uh, um, I think it's going to be close, though. I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a really hard one yeah. to pick for me. It's going to be a cracker. I really can't wait. They also announced, Danny, the full lineup yeah. for UFC 262. Now, I'm going to read you this lineup. And what I want you to do, uh, or both of you, I'd like, is I just want you to pick out two fights each that you're really looking forward to. It doesn't have to be the main event, it can just be one that you think might be a bit of a banger or a bit of a sleeper. Um, so you've got uh, the main event for the UFC lightweight title uh, Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards, Tony Ferguson versus Benil Darouche, uh, Ronaldo Souza versus Andre Munez, uh, Shane Berg Burgos versus Edson Barboza, Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabassian, uh, Caitlin Chikagian versus Vivian Ajiro, uh, Shev Antonia Shevchenko versus uh, Andrea Lee, and uh, you've also got. Uh, I'm picking some of these out now from the pre-shows. We've got Jamie Pickett versus Jordan Wright, Lando Venata versus Mike Grundy, and Rafael Alves versus Demir Ishmaelyov. Um, Paul, we'll go to you first. What, what fights out of those stand out for you, mate? Um, well, obviously, the lightweight title fight is going to be uh, a great fight. Michael Chandler has come in 1-0. Um, former battle champion um, and Charles Oliveira is on fire at the moment uh, that's a difficult one to pick again again uh, Chandler pure grit he's got uh, all the power but Oliveira is absolutely fantastic and on the ground he's he's so slick so um, uh, I mean that one is going to be really really exciting to watch and then probably um, I like Edson Barbosa and because their fight's not going to go to the ground um, they both like to throw down. They're both in exciting fights, you know, so I, I'm looking forward to those two mainly. But it's a fantastic artist again. Um, they're absolutely killing it in 2021, you know. Yeah, they're making these cards so deep as well. Danny, what about you, mate? Anything stand yeah. out for you? Yeah, I'm, I you know, I think Paul's summed up the ones that I'm ultimately interested in. But um, I think I'm going to be curious to see how... Um, Oh, the name's just bloody gone out of my head. Um, Which one? Oh, Leon my God. Edwards, Nate Diaz. No, no, no. Near the top. Keep going down. Uh, Ferguson, Derouche. <laughs> Ferguson. That's it. I'm really curious to see what Ferguson's going to do because I think if he has a bad performance this time around, I think we can all safely say he's just tipped over the edge, uh, you know, whether it's his age or whether it's his mind gone. Who knows what's happening in his personal life? I know he's a bit of an unusual chap. But, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious whether he's ever going to get himself back into relevancy. Um, so that one I'm going to be watching with interest, really. Um, yes. Just to see, see see who comes out. I mean, who's going to show? I don't know. Yeah, another one. Um, 
I'm interested in is um, right. I didn't read it out actually. Is um, Gina Manzani versus Price uh, Priscilla Cachero. Um One of the reasons that interests me is Gina Manzani was recently fired from Disney for her, I think it was her political views or something, something like that. She was working for the Star Wars TV series, uh, The Mandalorian, um, and there was a lot of pressure on the UFC to cut her because, you know, as is the world... Uh, wasn't that Gina said, Carano? Was wasn't it that, yeah, yeah, Gina Carano? So I apologise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it. Straight so. away to Gina yes. Mazzani. I, uh, <laughs> my Gina's mixed up. Straight away. Oof. I apologise. I'm going I'm to cut that out. Don't worry about it. But that is an interesting topic, though. You know, nevertheless, it is quite. That's that's happening a lot now, isn't it? People with their yeah, views. If you, if you say the wrong, like, and look, if you if you say stuff that's like super offensive, then it is what it is. If you work for a company like Disney or the UFC or whoever, then chances are, if people, oh, you're going to get you're going to get cut because they're. They're publicly traded companies and every employer, every company, if you work for them or you represent them, they have a right to decide if what you're saying is going to affect their brand. But for me, there's like a very thin line between kind of censoring people having an opinion and offensive, like... I don't know. I like if you're gonna go around spouting a load of racist stuff and a load of homophobic stuff, then you deserve to be fired and on your bike. That's because that's just stupid. But if it's things like so, this is not in Gina Gina's uh, case, Gina Carano's case, but just as a general example, I think there is room for comedy which walks the line like stand-up comedy, which walks the line of being offensive. And, and the whole point of being a good stand-up comic is that you, as you're telling a story or a joke, mm -hmm. it seems like you're going to go over the line, but at the very last minute when you do the punchline, you kind of, you're skirting on the right side of it. Um, but the problem is these days is if you say anything which is near that sort of line of what's offensive and what's not, social media and things and if people decide that they don't like what you've said regardless if it's particularly offensive or not if they decide they don't like it or they're offended by it it can very quickly snowball into a this person doesn't deserve their job or their platform and their employer gets emails and posts and it can snowball very quickly and i don't know i just i'm a big believer in people being treated like adults and like if you're going to say something stupid then you've got to live by it and also I'm a big believer that there's context to certain things now as I said like racism, homophobia bigotry, things like this there isn't a context to that but there is a context to for instance I used like stand-up comedy and stuff like that I think comedy has got very boring in the last five years because everybody's so scared of saying the wrong thing mm. apart from Ricky Gervais I'd say he's the only one who doesn't <laughs> seem to care but that is because he made his money before you had this 
cancel culture, for, for lack of a better term. So if he was to say, say a joke at the Oscars or whatever he does, and people decided that that was the one that went too far, like he joked, joked about a celebrity and that's too far, it wouldn't really matter because he's made so much money that he can go and sit at home for the rest of his life and enjoy his life and his money. Like, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not an MMA subject, and it's a, it's a subject which has got a lot of nuance to it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it over to Danny, and let Danny tie himself up in bigger knots than I did just did, <laughs> and uh, we'll um, go from there. Look, there. There's some certain subjects that are very, very hard to comment, very, very hard to debate about. Now, in our gym, when we finish training, we debate about all sorts of things. Um, you know, and and probably things get said that you probably can't put on a public forum without getting, you know, a lot of other people's opinions come at you in a really strong negative way. But uh, yeah, there is a council culture now, and it is such a a t touchy subject. And it's a subject that, in terms of being out in the mainstream, I think most people want to avoid these days, unless you're a particular type of personality seems to relish in that. Um, I don't relish in arguments, but I do relish a nice debate. And yeah. uh, I don't mind anyone having their opinion if they give good reasons to have their opinion. I, you know, I don't like people having opinions about anything, and it's just a hollow opinion. You know, I, I like people to back up the reason why they have their views, and I'm willing to respect anyone's views on that front. I think things can be said both tastefully and distastefully. Um, but unfortunately, to some people that are perhaps more sensitive than you or I or anyone else is, they can take offence to things even when you are trying to do it tastefully. And that's where the difficulty is. You know, where's the where's the line? And and that's why comedy's taken such a hit. You know, where do you draw the line? I mean, if it's done with tongue-in-cheek, does that mean anything goes? Well, personally, I think not, not anything should go. But by the same token, I've enjoyed comedy throughout the decades. I mean, I'm... I'm not a young man anymore, I'm a man of 47 years, so I've seen all sorts of comedy. But I've got to say, the comedy perhaps I experienced as a young lad, you know, watching my parents watch certain comedy, I do think it's kind of distasteful now. So whether that's yeah. because well, uh, I've become sensitised, I don't know, but some of it is distasteful when you think back. Mick, I mean, wow. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, Doug. Yeah. Funny you should say that. Um, I recently started re-watching Only Fools and Horses. And um, right. so I started, I've watched them in order. And in the original TV series, so they did like two series, didn't they, of TV? And then they did, like after that, it was like specials, like one or two a year. Um, yeah. And the specials are all very good. But the the actual TV series, there's a lot of um, jokes uh, and things that are said which were acceptable then. You would never get them on TV now, and rightly so, because they're not acceptable but mm. it just shows the difference in, like, what was deemed acceptable then to now. And I think the things, for me, which have changed generally around what language is acceptable and stuff like that is a good thing. Mm. By, you know, by far is a good thing. But also, yeah. my, I, one of my favourite quotes or one of my favourite things is whenever someone says, oh, it's... You know, I've I've got the right to say this horrible thing that I've just put on the internet, but also, yeah, you have got the right to say that. But I've also got the right to call you an absolute dickhead for saying it, and also mm -hmm. got the right to pull you up on it for saying that horrible thing or that thing which is just 
you're hiding behind X and Y to mm -hmm. disguise something bigger, uh, being transphobic or you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, it's, it is a difficult one. So I'd like to ask both of you just to move the kind of subject on. You're both obviously big parts of gyms and um, those gyms have got fighters in and they're growing all the time. If one of your employees or one of your fighters or whoever it may be, someone linked very clearly to your gyms said something which was very, uh, was deemed offensive or unacceptable by the masses and you were barraged with a lot of emails and social media posts saying, oh, Paul, so-and-so uh, from your gym has said this. This is unacceptable. You should fire them. You should sack them. You should you know, do this, whatever. They shouldn't have a job. How would you deal with that? Let's go to Paul. Don't put me under pressure uh, on this well, one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, each situation is different, obviously. Um, a lot of things... I mean, I have a, a cross-section of cultures and religions and people uh, train in my gym um, and we really don't really go there on touchy subjects we just go there train honestly everybody's all friendly in the gym and um, we kind of like keep it that way uh, if someone you know makes a comment on social the problem is social media actually in my opinion mm, because yes, a lot of people can look stuff on social media and it can be interpreted a lot of different ways um, and it's, it depends how you read it. Someone could say something quite innocently and someone could take offence by it. That's why uh, one of the reasons why I'm not on social media too much apart from promoting my gym. I never sort mm -hmm. of any like, thoughts or beliefs or anything like that because obviously everything can be sort of um, angled a certain way. However, you know, people want to sort of read it. And I tend to try and stay away from people who are deliberately argumentative and combative. You know, people mm. like that are just literally delete off Facebook or, you know, Instagram, mm. whatever. Um, I, I just don't need that energy in my life. Um, so yeah, if yeah. anybody is like that, then I, I generally try and sort of steer uh, clear of them because that's not um, what I'm trying to promote. Obviously, I teach a lot of kids as well, you know, so obviously mm. we're supposed to be role models for these kids. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing I would want is to be arguing with someone on social media. Uh, where, like, a lot of my kids, you know, see these type of things and, you know, so you you... There's a room on so um, that's that's the way I, I live my life as well. You know, if someone's like got bad energy, I just tend to just stay away from that sort of person and just stay with really positive yeah. people. Um, as well as obviously things that's on TV. Obviously, I mean, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and like fifty years old. You know, so I, I've obviously seen society change. Um, things on TV that I used to see in the seventies, obviously you know you'd never get away with now um but it's the way society is going but i think a, a lot of problems that we're having in the world is down to social media people got nothing better to do exactly. either yeah. argue and hook and you know um be argumentative with people and just combative and it's, it's all about doing that obviously when you're sat at home and I, I mean i see a lot of it just changing the subject a little bit um with uh fighters who may have fought in the UFC and they might have lost and you've got these people attacking them on Twitter, you know, mm -hmm. saying you should have done this, you should have done that, you're crap, you, you know, and it's just like, you'd never say that to their face, you know, yeah. um, they, mm -hmm. it's just sick, sickening to me at times, you know, so I, I just try and steer clear a lot of 
um, yeah. things like that in my life and just try and move forward with the positive people. Yeah, I can fully understand that. And I think um, I'm, the, I'm the same, mm. actually. Um, and funny enough, literally today, um, I was uh, messaged by someone who I'm not going to uh, name, but someone who is a, like, we watches some of our shows, not this show, but one of the other shows. Um, and he was talking about something. And as he was talking and he was agitated, he threw in like a, a racist comment. And I was so shocked. I was like, oh, mate, that's not, um, that's not going to fly. I'm not, not down with that at all. And I was really shocked by it. And I said, to be honest with you, I'm kind of ready to, to I don't really want you to watch the, the channel and the show. And, and I really was really shocked by it. But the reason I bring that up is because like we've seen so much recently of uh, athletes, footballers, fighters, when they lose a match or a game or, or a fight, whatever it may be, you see that they get so many DMs on Instagram, particularly where you can DM anyone just of like racist and homophobic abuse. Like, I hate to think how much these prominent people get, uh, how many messages and things like that they get on a daily basis, because I've had a little bit of it and I've got a very, 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 very small platform. Nobody knows who I am. And if they do know who I am, it's because of the guests that I've been very lucky enough to have on my various shows and the channel. And I just cannot imagine the amount of messages that these people must get. And it must be so difficult to to not respond and to not respond with anger. So like for me personally, I don't respond. I just, if, if I get a message like that or I see people behaving in a certain way, I just block them, remove them and I move on. Because I, like you Paul, I've got children I know there's some sort of kids and teenagers who watch some of my shows. I um, don't want them to see me arguing with people on social media, whether even if I what I'd be arguing for would be considered the right thing. I don't think that it's a, a great, you know, it's not a good look, is it? If you're kind of going back and forth with someone on social media. And by the way, we only got onto this conversation because I mixed up... Um, <laughs> Because you got it wrong. <laughs> Gina Mazzani and Gina Carano. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind having yeah. I, I was going to say, but... Paul, this subject just come about by chance. You was not bought yeah. on just for this subject alone. It's all my fault. I apologise. But let's move back to the fighting. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I've been re really, uh, I'm completely thrown now. But uh, Aljamain Sterling. He's having neck surgery, which means um, his title rematch versus Petty Yan has been delayed. Which is, oh, wow. Uh, that's, okay. that's really disappointing. And obviously, with neck surgery, uh, as you guys will know, and as I know from you know neck and back surgery, even though you know he's going to be hoping to fight again, you just don't know what mm. that neck's going to be like after a surgery. Was that from that fight? Uh, I will find you know? out in just a second. Is that but... training injury, wear and tear? Uh, let's have a look. So, uh, yeah. the what were the subject of injuries? Go How's on. your body doing, Paul? Because we're not young men anymore, are we? Oh, yeah. not not great, brother. Um, I've had <laughs> oh, two knee surgeries, hip replacement. Um, 
my neck is gives me problems a lot, you know, these days. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've got two dodgy knees, knees still, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wouldn't change it for the world, you know. It's part of the journey, isn't it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. What about yeah. yourself? Are you, uh, yeah, I, I, my body hurts, you know. Um, I actually don't know how old yeah. you are, but I know from your generation of fighting, you, you know, you're out of your competitive years. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 50. You're 50. Wow, you're doing, doing amazing. Okay, I'm 47. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but I find the yeah. things that trouble me the most are my wrists. Like, I've got swellings okay. on my wrist after I train. And so when even when I do jiu-jitsu, someone tries to sweep me, I can put my hand out. And it's absolute agony. I've got calcification of my ligaments that run over my joints. And uh, it's just uh, awful. awful. Um, I do have two loose knees. I've got split ligaments in my knees so that when someone picks up, say, a single leg and they start ragging me about, I feel my knees sagging. It's more of a sensation it is a pain, but then that can make play up with my cartilage and I get kind of swelling in my knee and then I'm out for another couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it's just it's not fun getting old. Um, I'm still pretty active, although I have slowed up in the last couple of years, but I'm still quite active. I'll still jump in and do MMA rounds but not always with the top, top guys anymore. Certainly not people a lot heavier than myself. I'm finding I'm steering more towards the BJJ. I am even more so than even the no-gi now, whereas I was always considered perhaps a no-gi specialist in, in the big scheme. I'm loving the gi. I think maybe because the pace is slower and um, it's just more predictable. I don't know about you. Are you finding you? Because I know obviously you're quite heavily involved with the BJJ as well as the MMA. Is this something that yeah. you find you going to inspire yeah, I mean, I, I haven't sparred like MMA for years now. Uh, to be honest, I've kind of like removed, my, like with all my injuries and stuff, I've kind of like removed myself from that that type of stuff. Um, I generally just uh, train in the gi now mainly, um, and uh, I'm quite selective of who I train with. I train with mainly brown and black belts, to be honest with you, because obviously they right. can control the pace a little bit and they understand that okay. you are injured as well. You know, on certain things. Obviously, when you've got like a twenty-year-old blue belt full of testosterone and he's like trying to kill you you know it's uh, a little bit different <laughs> you know, so but I, I, I like yourself um the gi I, I find the gi a lot easier because i can slow the pace down in the gi with my grips and stuff yeah. you know uh, whereas no gi obviously you, the grips change and it's a lot faster pace you know but um generally yeah. my training consists of uh bjj in the gi with certain training partners um and then i, I just hit mitts and stuff you know just to keep sharp um, and then I, you know, I do my bits of lifting and stuff like that, you know, but I, I, yeah, I haven't yeah. done any sort of impact sort of MMA sparring cool. for years, really. And I can't see myself going, I'm too old to get punched in the head these days. So yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. I just tend to sort of sit on the sideline and guide the guys, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely easier just um, handing out the advice rather than being in there. I'm definitely fine now. I'm, I'm like I said, I've been yeah. slowing up the last couple of years and, um, yeah, I'm just steering towards the, the gi more. Obviously, I'm more, I'm just as heavily involved in the MMA regards to my coaching. And on that note, you know, you've been involved with coaching at a really high level. You've uh, got some great competitors that under your guidance. Um, obviously, you'll have a big set of amateurs coming up through your ranks. Who have we got to look out for? Have you got some people that we're going to see coming into the mainstream of pro fighting and also, you know, who's already on the pro scene? You know, is there anyone ready to break through maybe UFC or Bellator or something along those lines? Um, I've got, you know, quite a small squad at the moment. I mean, years, uh, 
you know, quite a few years ago, probably five, six, ten, like up to about ten years ago, we used to have guys who were like in the gym who were in the UFC and Bellator and stuff like that, and our gym was absolutely packed. We had every weight class, you know, I had like nearly thirty pro fighters, you know, at that one time. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh, obviously, things work in cycles. People either leave the gym or they retire or they get too old and stuff like that, you know. So. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a second sort of generation that I'm bringing through now at the moment. Um, so I've got a lot of young guys on the maps, a lot of uh, amateurs, obviously a lot of kids that I'm investing my time in as well, which you'll probably see them sort of like yeah. in the ranks in sort of five to six years' time. Um, obviously, I've had um, the two Figlat brothers who just competed on Cage Warriors, um, yeah. the last trilogy show. So they're... Uh, two lads I've been training since they were teenagers as well. Um, so they're, oh, they're boy, really, they really look, well. They um, look very, very good. March yeah, yeah, they're both sharp and they train really hard. Um, I've also got, you know, people like, uh, you know, Mario Saeed, who fights in Brave. Um, and I got a, quite a few of other guys who fight just domestically on, on you know, the regional shows. And a, a few guys who are coming up from, uh, you know, having amateur um 10 amateur fights going up into pros now so i've got one of my guys who's a flyweight uh johnny bryant making his uh um pro debut in june i believe um so mm. he's like one to look out for he's a flyweight so so yeah it's, but it, i think it'd be hard to just single out sort of one or two sort of guys i've got a lot of good talent coming through um, yeah mainly a lot of my, my talent are, are the younger ones you know so you'll start to see them sort of hopefully if they stay in the gym flourish within the next sort of five years you know mm -hmm. well with that um like obviously before you were coaching you uh you had your own career in uh, in combat sports and i just wanted to talk to you really about your yeah. start in you know in mma and what like how did you get into fighting as a on a whole and how old were you like how did that transition happen okay so i've been Doing martial arts pretty much all my life. Um, I think I first started in 1986, 1985, 1986. And that was doing like traditional Kung Fu. And I did kickboxing for years as well. So, because um, my brother was my coach. Um, so he's my first instructor. Um, so obviously I trained in kickboxing and Kung Fu for about 10 years. And then obviously the just started watching you know, the UFCs, you know, I started watching UFC yeah. one to three. And I thought straight, straight away, as soon as I seen Hoist Gracie using his jiu-jitsu, I thought, right, I, I need to find a local jiu-jitsu club. Um, so I found a, a Japanese jiu-jitsu club because um, there wasn't any BJJ clubs that were local to me. So I uh, went to a Japanese jiu-jitsu club run by Rosa Nakara, who used to run the grapple and strike events. Um, so I, I trained wow. with Ross for two to three That's years um, just blast from the past that name my god hey, oh, old school mate old school i remember you yeah, from that as well you know? old school. um because <laughs> you, you fought one of the grappling strikes didn't you i did yeah 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 a couple of times oh, I, I had matches yeah. on there never done very yeah, well yeah. on there but <laughs> yeah yeah so um so yeah I, I trained with ross for a few years and then i i, I did a uh, a few jiu-jitsu competitions and we used to do uh, what we call jiu-jitsu kumite which was like uh striking and then as soon as you get to the clinch you have to stop striking and then you just basically work jiu-jitsu on the ground and that was done in the gi so i've done quite a few of those competitions 
but I still wanted to test myself in full contact. Um, so having done a few full contact tournaments, kickboxing tournaments, um, I obviously wanted to test myself in the MMA. So I uh, met up with a guy, I don't know if you remember him, Danny Mark Woodard, who was like one of the yeah. old school UK, uh, UK MMA refs. So we, yeah. sort of, we sort of met up one night because we used to train together years ago, uh, years before. And he said, oh, I've got a, a Thai boxing gym. Do you want to just come up and start working out, you know? So so we did. And then we started to form a team sort of from there. And I think the first event, live event that I went to was, it was one of Lee Hasdels. I think it was oh, like wow. Samurai, was it? Or what was, yeah. was it called? Something like that? Yeah, like Ring of Samurai, Truth. Yeah. I, think you, I think you might have thought on it. Oh, rings! Was it, no, was it ring? no, it wasn't rings. It was Night of the Samurai. Ring, there's Ring of Truth, wasn't there? And uh, um, yeah. and the Night of the Samurai. It was. It, yeah, I, it was at Milton Keynes, so I remember that. Yeah. Um, and that that was the first event that I went to, and I thought I got to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was might have been uh, 2000, maybe 1999, something. 1999, like I that. think it was. Yeah. Uh, you might be able to clear that up. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Obviously, from there, my, yeah. So um, obviously, after watching that, I thought, you know, this is something that I want to try my hand at. Um, so I, th- I took my first fight on, I think it was Grappling Strike Three, I believe. So right. I did a a jiu-jitsu match on Grappling Strike One, I think, and I did a an MMA fight on, on Grappling Strike Three, and obviously from there, my I thought to myself, I'm just going to try it once, see, see, see if I like it or not. I tried it once and I was just in love with the sport, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, like all of, all of the time that I've been doing martial arts, I just love competition. I like competing and I always love, you know, pitting myself against somebody else to see who's a, the better man, you know. So, um, yeah, from there, obviously fought on grappling strike a few times and then I fought on the ultimate combat events, which were in Chippenham. Um, then I fought on Extreme Brawl, uh, Cage, Cage Rage, and, and Cage Warriors, and uh, I fought over in Holland as well once. And um, on my last competitive fight, I uh, ruptured my ACL, and uh, I had to have an ACL reconstruction. And that that literally just finished my career, basically. And that was in two thousand and five, I think. Right. Yeah, I was going to say to you, yeah, did you have a, an official retirement fight, or? But it's, you know, you just said you know your last fight, you needed surgery, and that that put pay to it. And, and what yeah. was it? Once you had the surgery, did, did you know that that was going to be it? Yeah, I had um, obviously with the reconstruction, I had the uh, graft from the hamstring uh, to make a new ligament yeah. in my knee, ACL ligament, and um, after doing the rehab. I never had the full range of motion in my knee after that. So I was never in a position where I could say I was 100%. And I didn't ever want to fight without being 100%. And to be honest, at that time, I was—I think I was 30, 35 years old. And like at 35 years old, fighting in a lightweight division, you're not really, (laughs) you know, you're you're considered pretty much a old man. And uh, yeah. You know, and I was undersized. I, I was undersized for that division anyway. Because at the end of the day, I'm only five foot six, so uh, my body frame really. Uh, I mean, if I was fighting that, because the, the lightweight guys are monsters now. You know, if I was fighting yeah, a yeah. fighter, one twenty five, 
or 135 maximum, you know? So, uh, you know, yeah, obviously yeah. in those days, the early 2000s, I think the lowest weight class we had at the time was uh, lightweight. And I never used to cut any weight for it as well. Yeah, it was yeah. literally just like, that was my walk around weight. And I just fought, you know? So, so yeah. uh, obviously, a lot of people have been spoiled with all these weight divisions, but you're right. You know, I think UFC yeah. ball in featherweight uh, in 2010, but, um, you know, yeah. up until then, I was fighting lightweight as well. And I started my fight career. I was walking around. I was five foot ten, walking around at 64 kilos. And I was having to fight people cutting down 70 kilos. It was really difficult in the early years. Really, really difficult. I mean, luckily, I was technically better than most. which um, And I was training very, very seriously regards my cardio. And a lot of the time, that's what pushed me through to get the wins that I did get. But I thought some, some monstrously different weight divisions I, I thought pat carr on that grapple and strike you, you know you're saying about those days yeah. and yeah, um, yeah. i remember when we turned up we're supposed yeah. to be 70 kilos and back then they had a, a set of toilet scales that weren't precise or anything but i remember i turned up a little bit late i actually got caught for speeding um going down to fighting and when we arrived i jumped on the scales at 64 kilos and we're like bloody hell he looks massive because he's quite a short in stature do you remember he was quite short? Um, yeah. You know, five, five, yeah, I do. Five, five, I, I, I remember him very, very well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very, yeah. very good. And um, we said, yeah, you, you jump on the scales. And he was like 75 kilos, even though it's mm. supposed to have been at 70. And they bumped me 50 quid to still take yeah. the fight. And, you know, as you did back then, you did. But I remember when we both went leg kick for leg kick, my, my kick bounced off his thigh and he kicked me off my feet. And I knew, I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those nights. And, yeah, weight weight difference matters. It really, really does. But yeah, we it does. <laughs> both yeah, yeah. experience the difficulty of not having a broader spectrum of weight divisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, Paul. What was the transition like from being a you know a, a fight an out and out fighter to becoming a coach? As you did a bit of coaching before you had finished up your fighting career, or was it something you had always wanted to you know you would always look to be doing? What sort of transition was that? And was it difficult also? Well, I, um, <clears throat> I, when I was uh, training with my brother, because I trained with him for like over 10 years, um, so I became a black belt anyway, and I, I started doing a little bit of coaching for him. So I've always been involved with coaching for years. So yeah. uh, when I retired from uh, competitive fighting then you know uh coaching was like a natural transition for me um and i've been coaching you know in my own gym since well i was head coach at trojan since 2010 and i actually own trojan and stuff now so i've been doing that since 2015 so but i, I love coaching my passion that's my calling in life i'm actually a way better coach than what i was fighter you know that's my opinion um, I, I absolutely love coaching all aspects of it. Um, I, uh, what I really like is bringing, bringing through kids or the, uh, you know, you get kids come through into your gym who have not much really going for them and you can transform that and turn that around, whether they compete or not, it doesn't matter. Um, but if you just make their life better and, you know, and, uh, obviously if you have got people who do compete when they start winning tournaments and they start winning fights and stuff is, I find it more rewarding than when I thought, to be honest with you. Um, so the, the transition for me was really, really natural to, to um, go from being a fighter because I always want to be involved in martial arts. Um, I can't mm -hmm. see any part of my life where I'm not going to be involved in martial arts, you know. 
Um, I've been doing it like for over 35 years. Um, so I was see it, that um, continuing and I, I absolutely, I love, I love coaching. Was it ever frustrating, like not being in that f- sort of full-time competitive, uh, like mindset and going to purely just coaching or because of the injuries, it just felt like the natural transition without the, like you hear sometimes fighters and, and, and other athletes of other sports when they sort of move from competitive to you know, just coaching and maybe a little bit of sparring or a bit of football or, you know, whatever it may be, um, they can find it a bit frustrating. Was there any of that or was it because, you know, like I say, because your injuries, it was just a natural? Uh, no, um, to be honest, when, when you, when you, you've been a fighter for, like at that time, I think I competed like with all across the board, different martial arts for, I think it was 18 years straight. So I've been fighting for 18 years and then, Wow. to go from that to doing nothing you know is it does get you it's it's you know it's it's you know i can see why a lot of fighters suffer from like depression and stuff like that and it's not uh it's not because you're not in the limelight anymore it's just it feels like something's missing in your life you know and uh, purpose yeah 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 so um to be honest i'm a really competitive coach as well because i like to compete my skill set as a coach you know against others so i still sort of channel it that way um you know so i try and do the best i can for all of my guys and to try and get them the best you know they can you know obviously when they got fights coming up i do so much research uh you know on their opponents and you know i really thrive off off that competitive side now as opposed to actually physically doing it myself cool awesome um the other thing i wanted to ask really was um kind of like couple of like uh, I don't know what the word is like random questions just about your career and stuff like um, is there a particular fight that yeah. you look back at and you think that's my favourite for whatever reason it may be uh, yeah um, probably I, ha- I fought for the Cage Warriors lightweight title because I was actually the first lightweight um, title holder for Cage Warriors so okay. that probably that probably was my favorite fight that was against Ozzy Haluk um and going into that fight I remember reading up on you know on the internet and stuff that on the forums that people were saying that he was going to knock me out and do this and do that and you know and that, I was so not angry but I was so determined in that fight that I was going to like make a statement you know and uh, yeah. I stopped him in the second round um so never against him. I, I mean, I'm good friends with him now. Um, I never had anything against any of my opponents, to be honest with you. I just love to go out there and compete hard. Um, but yeah, that was probably my most satisfying fight. I don't think any fighter has anything where they say, yeah, go out there and you're absolutely 100% satisfied with what you've done. You, every fight that I look at, I just, well, especially now, I, just, I absolutely cringe because it's like a, a totally different time, you know? Um, mm. like the level of technique, like I've got amateurs now who would murder like pros like back in the day when I was fighting, you know, so um, everything's evolution, you know, but uh, but yeah, I think that was probably the most rewarding fight that I particularly had um, done myself. That takes me into my next question, actually. Me and Danny um, and various guests have talked a lot recently about the, the evolution in MMA, just even in the last sort of probably three to five years, like 
even the guys who are like at the very bottom of the rankings in the biggest promotions have got generally an all-round game. Whereas, you know, like where even when going back to more you know, fairly recent time of like when Conor McGregor was coming through his early days of the UFC, the reason he never, uh, no one ever questioned his wrestling and things like this is because he generally didn't need to use it because his striking was taking him through people very quickly and you know he was getting i don't want to say getting by on his striking because i feel like that's a little bit disrespectful but like he was winning his fights with his striking alone and i feel like in the last three to five years you just can't do that you can't be just a just a striker or just a wrestler it's it's and i guess the question is like <coughs> how much how much do you see in the in the evolution of MMA over the years, obviously, like you mentioned, you've been fighting since, or you've been doing martial arts since the eighties, and we're in two thousand and twenty-one now. Like, tell me some of the evolution you've seen in the fight game in various forms over the years. Well, obviously, um, if we're looking at MMA, I mean, MMA is absolutely night and day from when I fought. Um, to now, even if you look back 10 years, um, MMA is the fastest evolution of sport, you know, combat sports that there is, because there's new techniques coming in. Um, there's new ways of throwing those techniques. The striking is hybrid for MMA. The footwork is hybrid for MMA. Um, obviously, the way you, you uh, <clears throat> wrestle and even wrestling on the cage, obviously, that's, that's not freestyle or Greco. Obviously, it's, uh, it's MMA wrestling, you know, so um, I, this is one of the this is one of the things that I crossed over to MMA from doing traditional martial arts is because the evolution of it and there's no sort of set way of doing things and you know each club that you go to will have certain nuances of how to do certain techniques and you can always pick things up from different people and you know obviously watching like uh, the UFC and some of the high level <clears throat> fighters I always um, try and pick up the little details on certain things. That's why I like training with other people as well. Um, I pick up little details all the time and I try and add that to my arsenal um, and I play around with it in the gym and then I, I try and experiment a lot with the guys and we'll say, right, let's try this. You know, I, I, that's the, the part of martial arts I actually love is because in mixed martial arts, there's no parameters. You can actually move things around all the time. Whereas if you come from a, a say a traditional martial arts background, um, obviously, you've got a set structure. You've got a set techniques that you can do, and you don't waver from that because if you're if you're not doing that, you're not being traditional, you know. So, whereas I respect uh, traditional martial arts values, which I do, you know, I, I like to have respect, you know, between you know student and coach and stuff like that. Uh, but obviously, the the uh, evolution of technique, I always I try and invest a lot of my time in evolving techniques um, to feed down to my my students, you know. Um, I, I love that part of the sport. That's what keeps me really motivated is, is the evolution of it and trying different things. And I might see one of my guys do something in the gym and I, I it's something I haven't shown them. And I'm like, I'll stop the class. I'll say, how did you do that? You know? Um, mm, so yeah, it's yeah. having that open mind and, and learning of, of various different people. It's like, just because I'm a coach, it doesn't mean I know everything. You know, I try and guide the guys the best I can. But if, if one of my guys, you know, um, I see them do a really good technique. I'll stop the class. I'll say, "Hey, show that, show that technique. It was really good, you know." So, yeah. um, for me, that's that's what martial arts is all about: is evolution. 
like Danny, that sounds like to me, and you know, I've done a little tiny bit of coaching in terms of football and stuff like that with kids, and like I, I believe that there's a vital uh, part of teaching anyone uh, anything is be you know accepting that you don't know everything and accepting that your the people you're teaching might be able to teach you things that there's always room to learn new skills new ways of doing things more efficient ways of doing things new things completely from mm. anyone like every day's a school day of course is the uh, the famous saying isn't it but obviously yeah. you're you know you're a coach you're an ex fighter yourself is that something that you can sort of relate to a lot absolutely yeah i don't put no holds on any of my guys and girls to want to go off and train anywhere else and you know, I'd, I'd say the, the more the merrier if you're young enough fit enough and you've got the financial means to travel around and get training with other coaches i think it's all but a good thing and um, if they come back to home base and share anything new that they may have learned i think it's great um you know jordan's a great advocate of that you know jordan uh he trains with numerous other coaches along with the bst coaching that we have but he goes off and trains with other striking coaches wrestling coaches and indeed some of the other students do i'm not insecure where i worry someone's going to learn to do a double leg better than the way i taught it because i actually have done what not even a handful of wrestling classes in my life i just learned to do the wrestling through understanding the mechanics of the body and the mechanics of martial arts and come up with my own way and my own method um, even though it's very much my own way, it probably ends up being the same way as wrestlers do it, maybe. I don't know, but all of our cage wall stuff, as an example, is done purely with my own creation and just stumbling across things that worked, um, taking things out that didn't work. So we still adapt and change even now. Sometimes the way we did a double leg, the level change up against the fence back five years ago isn't the way that we perhaps set it up and go about it now. The strategy of the ideas of thinking are more numerous now and we we constantly change and adapt and you know paul's exactly right you know as a coach i'm also fascinated with the strategy implementation that could be had between two physicalities some one person might be slow twitch another person's fast twitch you can have um, tall short thick thin you know weight cutting is part of the issue as well some people can come in really quite big other people are not very good at weight cutting they come more at their natural weight there's so many things to take into consideration with the MMA. It's absolutely fascinating. And I absolutely agree with Paul. I'm obsessed with wanting to compete gym for gym, strategy for strategy, tactics for tactics. I love that. I come from a background of competing heavily in chess from school um, to a point where I played for Somerset, I played for West of England, I played really, really high level chess. I've just got this competitive bug. And although I can't be competitive no longer, you know, one-on-one -on -one with another individual coming from another team. I can pit, you know, my knowledge and my coaching, which as a coach, I'm more of an advisor. Just because one of my students fights doesn't mean it's everything that I've advocated. But what I do advocate is freedom to go and uh, train with other people, come back to home base, their share. So no one's a carbon copy of me. No one's a carbon copy of just my knowledge. But my knowledge is an integral part of their game. And I am part of their journey, but I'm not the all and end all of their journey by any means and um so i sit very very similar to paul on that I mean, look, i've seen paul as a fighter always said in fact we was due to fight i think if you remember rightly paul do, do you ever remember yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. was it on um, 
Was it on uh, Extreme Brawl? I think it was, wasn't it? I believe it was. Yeah, and we were talking a long, long time ago. Yeah. And um, and I have mentioned this before on a podcast. But what happened with that one was um, I, I was a postman, and I got bit and dragged to the bloody floor by an Alsatian. <laughs> Punched all my leg. Got to have an injection. Everything. And it's about no, two weeks. Some excuses in my time. Yeah, oh, I geez. know. Isn't it? Yeah, bloody hell. <laughs> and I've still got the scars today on my leg. And yeah, the bugger got hold of me. And I was actually debating with this guy saying, look, you keep leaving your dog out on the lawn. Um, and it keeps stalking me. You know, you know I can't go get in the street. I've, I've been having to take the mail back. He goes, no, nah, my dog won't ever hurt anyone. And as I'm walking up the path, I tried to walk confidently close to him and his dog because it was on a lead. I thought, I don't want to look like I'm scared of the dog in front of this guy because I'm kind of like arguing with the guy as I carried on posting my mail. But the dog lunged for me, got hold of my leg. And yeah, that was, it was an awful situation. But yeah, um, I don't know what, to, what you got told, but do, do I, you remember? I actually didn't box? get told anything. It's just like, Danny, Danny's not going to fight. Um, uh, I think I thought, I think it was frederick fernandez i think i thought after that right okay yeah yeah because i ended up talking to manuel his brother years yeah. years later but yeah, yeah, they yeah. both very very successful brothers wasn't they yeah 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 they're good guys yeah absolutely they're, they're really good guys they've, they've done a lot of good things for the sport very i find it yeah. fascinating that that the youtube could have thought do you know when danny one thing i will quickly say because i'll forget it's me and you need to start playing some online chess, mate, because um, my brother has oh, chess for Wales, so he used to train me up to practice. I'm not very good, but I'm all right. <laughs> like, I haven't played for a while. I used to play it when I was drunk. Me and my mate used to get back from the pub at, like, three o'clock, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning and would drive my mother insane because we'd be sat in the, in the kitchen drinking more, like, drinking tequila, just playing chess for, like, yeah. Six or six hours, she'd be waking up for work, and we'd be sat in the kitchen, <laughs> just staring at each other, playing chess drunkenly. Uh, it's a good it's game, just, man. I love, yeah, love it. It is good. We'll have to start that up uh, online chess, I think. But um, okay, um, right. Uh, I want to move towards the UFC from last night now because we're an hour in. Um, I just thought it was. I thought it was a real. I don't know whether it's because we had a week off. Uh, I know we had Bellator to talk about, but every time they seem to have a little break with the UFC, the show which they come back with just seems to be really good. I thought it was quite a special show last night. You know, I, I know it wasn't up to the the kind of levels of, you know, your your main pay per views, and it was just, just a technically just a fight night. I think it also helps for us in the UK that I, it was on at a decent time, so I was able to watch live, um, which. You know, that makes such a difference when you can watch it as it's going on and you can kind of react to it. You're not watching it after the effect. But um, we're going to focus on the main card, but there's one prelim fight which we're most definitely going to discuss. Um, and that was Jack Shaw defeating Hunter Azure via a split decision. Um, and this scorecard, by the way, was so weird. 30-27, 30-27, Jack Shaw. And then 28-29 to Azure. Um, Danny, uh, you talk to us first about Jack's performance and the fight overall, and also talk to me about that scorecard because it's uh, it's a very strange one. Yeah, the scorecard part of it, I'm actually going to leave for Paul because I believe you've done judging for UFC um, or still yes, do. Of course. You know, this is something I that do, needs yes. to be 
yeah, so, so this is going to be great insight go. to a judge's perspective of, of things. But um, you know, so I'm going to leave that bit aside. I might embarrass myself with, with Paul here. So, um, but look, a really good performance. And it was nice to see some of Jack's striking because he's been able to get people down so quickly, particularly in cage warriors, and you know, very, very easily dispatch people. Um, but this time, he was up against someone who can wrestle really, really well himself. Um, but wow, he, he did absolutely amazing. We got to see his defensive wrestling, his, his counter-offensive wrestling, which we know is very, very good. But, you know, he took this guy down. He did make a couple of mistakes. There was one time where, when Jack tried to drag him down and put himself yes. on his back. Um, so it was not a completely polished performance. You've got to remember how young this lad is. But each time I see him, I see notable improvements. He's like going up in competition um, each time. He's doing it on the biggest format being at the UFC. He conducts himself so amazingly. I really liked his one-two punching combination. Although it's a simplistic punch combination, he really knew his range well. Um, makes great decisions on getting the entry, which is why he was able to wrestle the wrestler. He's just mm. picking perfect timing, great decision making. I just think some people have just got a genius responses with geniuses in all different ways as artists, as mathematicians and so on. This kid's just an absolute genius at just selecting the right move at the right time. He's got great reactions. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm mightily impressed with him all rounds. He's making massive improvements each time, like I say, and he's going up in competition each time. Someone needs to beat him soon because with the way he's going, he's just going to become more and more of a potential unstoppable force. Um, yeah, I just I, I just watch with excitement at this young lad keep performing. Uh, I really do. But he definitely needs to step up in competition now, and that's what I'm really excited to see. Hundred um, percent. And just before I throw to Paul, um, Danny, you mentioned the mistake he made, but you know what was so impressive about that, at least for me, was how quickly he got up when he was on his back. Like yeah. he made he made the error. Hunter Azur was on top of him, and it felt like within seconds he had kind of adjusted and wriggled and, and he was up. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. Like, even when he's made that mistake, he still somehow managed to end up, you know, back on his feet. And I just, like you say, I thought it was an all-round, very impressive performance. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you could tell by um, the commentators, you know, they all they all rated Jack Shaw. They all, you know, they all knew who he was and, and some of his skill sets. But they they seem to be very much expecting him to dominate the strikes mm. and try and stay away from the wrestling. Whereas Jack Shaw in no way stayed away from the wrestling no. because, of course, you know as we've seen in Cage Warriors, it's a very strong part of his game. But I guess over the years you haven't seen many British fighters go over to the to America and and kind of out wrestle these NCA NCAA guys. Uh, and certainly not wrestling them to the floor is one thing, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, MMA wrestling's become something of its own. Paul already summed it up. You know, the striking is striking of its own right. The jiu-jitsu is a jiu-jitsu of its own right. MMA is creating its style of its own. It doesn't mean that the traditional systems ain't part of your integral training to prepare for a fight, but definitely the stylistic point of each of those ranges is very, very MMA is going open to interpretation as well. This is the other beauty of MMA. The way different people strike and the way different people wrestle. I mean, there's there's no black and white method of doing any of it. It's really open to expression. 
Um, and it's a great thing. And look, Jack Shaw doesn't come from a pedigree wrestling background like so many of the Americans, Canadians and Russians do. But it just goes to show that, you know, he he can try and he can prepare and he can outdo them because it's MMA formatted. It's it's great to see. It really is. Yeah, it was, it was I think, I don't know what, what the word is. It's, it's fascinating to watch, mate. It really was. It's um, It's just one of those... One of those really exciting fighters to watch because he, like yeah. you said, um, and I thought it was a great point you made, every time he's fought, he looks better in all aspects of his game. And he did make a couple of mistakes. However, what he did do is he adjusted very, very quickly. And mm. if he you know, if he has another three or four fights where he gets better each time but also keeps winning, there's just there's no ceiling for him um, yeah, what yeah. he can become. Um, Paul, what yeah. did you make of Jack Shaw's performance, the fight overall? Like, Hunter Azura is is not an easy fight for Jack Shaw. Um, I thought it was a fantastic performance from Jack. Um, obviously, uh, me and his dad go way back. You know, we're part of the same jiu-jitsu organisation. Um, and I've known Shaky for years from, obviously, the grappling strike days and stuff, you know. And uh, mm. to see the evolution of his son is absolutely fantastic. He is actually more mature than his age suggests, okay? Because he, yeah. he is just such a great decision maker on everything that he does. And even if he is in a, you say he was in, uh, you know, he was underneath, but he never panics. He, he will no. never panic. He, he's just got such a mature head on him, you know? And that's something that, to be honest, you can't really teach. He, he's, you know, he's an absolute testament of, you know, of what a sort of second generation MMA fighter should be. And, uh, you know, any young fighter, you know, should, like in this country especially, should look up to that guy and, and sort of, you know, see what he's doing, how he trains. You notice he's never he's never on uh, social media, you know, no. um, trash-talking people and stuff. He's a proper martial artist, you know, and that's one thing I really respect about him and his dad as well. Um, and I just think his skill set is, is phenomenal he's, he's solid absolutely everywhere absolute beast on the ground um mm. and he's just got a complete game and he only yeah. uses the techniques that he needs to use he never wastes energy you know you never see him doing like you know spinning heel kicks and stuff you know wasting energy he just picks the right technique all of the time he's a great decision maker and i, I thought that was a great fight um last night it was a tough fight as well um from a officiating standpoint um obviously i i've I judge for the UFC and I've judged for them for 10 years now. Um, what I will say, if a fight is 29-28, you can even have a 30-27 and it can go two opposite different ways. But the, it doesn't mean the fight is lopsided either way. Rounds can be like one and last or how you perceive it, where you are in the cage, um, you know, just on a margin. And yes, you have to give a 10 and a 9 uh, for each particular round, but it doesn't mean it was a landslide, you know. So uh, a lot of the time when people sort of complain online, um, I think their complaints are not warranted because they don't, one, don't understand the criteria, and two, do not understand even a 30-27 can be a close fight. Every round can be super razor close, and you still give yeah. it to, you know, you know, you give it to the one fighter, and it says 30-27, but in the scheme of things, it was still a close fight, you know? I think people mm. misinterpret um, scoring, and that's what I will yeah, say, because sure. I, I would never... Um, 
I would never throw a, an official under the bus anyway, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So I've been, in, yes. been there in, in, in that position. Um, and I know how difficult a job it is. Sometimes when you're on the wrong side of the cage, it's quite hard to see. It, wherever you are in the, yeah. in the, you know, where you're seated cage side, can be quite difficult to pick up certain things. Mm. Some certain times, if they're behind, like one of the posts, for example, someone could throw a strike. You think it lands, and it, it might not have landed, you know, yeah. because you yeah, think, yeah, like yeah. missed it because they're behind a post. So, so like all the time, you're trying to look in the cage, and you're trying to look on the monitor as well. So you're looking between above, and sometimes you can mm. miss those little intricate little parts. So it, it's not an easy job. I, I, I tell you that, um, uh, you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. will say stuff and they're sat on their sofa, but um, you'd be there in that high pressure situation. It, it's a oh, really right. difficult job. And as I said before, as I said before, uh, a 3027 doesn't have, doesn't mean a landslide either way. Yeah. You can have a 3027 yeah. go one way, 30-27 go the other, and it could be a razor, razor close fight. Um, people just yeah. need to understand um, the criteria as well, you know. Yeah, so, the in that's what I will say. Paul, can I ask you? Yeah. Um, how did you score that yeah. fight? So obviously you've got a much better um, understanding of the criteria than than what I have, and um, I'm interested in sort of where how you scored it, or you know, it doesn't have to be exact, but just okay. in general, which way yeah, you yeah. saw it going. So I continually have this discussion with my fighters in the gym. So when I watch a fight. And I'm watching it at home. I'm not watching it as a judge, to be honest with you. I'm actually enjoying the fight like a, a spectator. Right, yeah. When you're there working, your mindset is totally different. You're looking at different things. Um, I would have scored it probably 29-28 to Jack Shaw. He definitely won the fight, in my opinion, just from watching it as a casual. Um, yeah. But I couldn't give you a, a concrete sort of exactly how I would because I wasn't scoring yeah. the fight. When you're watching it at home, you're just watching it as a casual, like you guys are watching it, you know? And when you're there yeah. cage side working, it's, it's a totally different mindset it's, that you have yeah. to have. Um, you're looking at different things a lot closer as well, you know, the little um, intricacies you have to look at very, very closely when you're um, watching it as an official, um, when yeah. you're working. Uh, but when you're at home, I'm just, you're just kind of like relaxing, but I think I was mm -hmm. drinking a glass of wine when I was watching it, you know? So <laughs> just enjoying the fight. So, uh, so yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, from a, a casual standpoint where I was just watching the fight, I thought, yeah, Jack Shaw definitely won the fight, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, that's I cool. thought so. So I thought it was a close fight. I uh, I thought Jack yeah. won, but I uh, see. I like I I feel I'm glad that we had that exploration from you because it gives gives me a better understanding as well as well. Because obviously, when you see it on paper and you see the difference, it can sort of feel a bit disjointed to have such different scores yeah. but like you say there's there's yeah. so much criteria and intricacies to how that score comes about that there could be a reason for it i thought it was a really enjoyable fight um and just lastly on jack yeah, shaw danny fight. who would you like to see him go up against next would you like to see him get someone closer to those rankings yeah. maybe even someone from the rankings like yeah, I still. Yeah, I, I don't want him being. Although I think he could compete in the top fifteen, I think he's going to be competitive there. But just because he is so young, although he is very mature in his thinking and his game, I, I just want to see the steady approach uh, for his career. Um, he's going to have an amazing career. But I just, you know, when I say about that, someone's got to beat him soon because he's just we're going to become more potentially unbeatable. Although no one's unbeatable, but much harder to beat. He's just getting more and more complete. He's getting
getting his style down more and more and physically as well. I think he's becoming more more manly as he seasons with his with body. He's just so young still. Um, so for that much, you know, I don't want him jumping up too, too quick. But certainly, you know, he, he's in the top 20 in my mind. And uh, yeah. I don't think he'd be out of place to get someone in that sort of ranking. I think he'll be very, very relevant there. Yeah, I mean, previously we talked about maybe um, giving him some legends who are perhaps on the, not the downslide, but that's coming towards the end of their career. And I know that was a bit... The downslide, sorry. Sorry, just said it. I know we said it like a bit tongue-in-cheek and it was like the, the, legend, <laughs> the legend killer gimmick, wasn't it? But, like, so ranked 15 is Marlon Vera. Then you've got Kyla Phillips, Cody St uh, Starman and Mirab Dishvali. Um, they're the sort of the four at the bottom, or the Jimmy Riviera. That's the that's the the bottom five of the rankings. You say you know if Jack if you're saying that Jack Shaw's in that top twenty, the next yeah. step seems to be kind of one of those guys, doesn't it? Really, um, yeah. Unless they were to, you know to give him someone else who's just outside the rankings, which I I think would not be a bad idea. Um, but if if you had to pick someone from the from that. One, two, three, four, five. Would anyone yeah, stick the, out the for you? The first two you mentioned, which way um, was it? So you had Marlon Vera's 15, uh, Kyla Phillips 14, Cody Starman 13, yeah. Mirab Dishvali is uh, 12, Jimmy Riviera 11, and then you've got Rafael. Yeah, I'd say Marlon Vera because I think we, we all agree he's not quite what he was. And, and so he's definitely someone who's got some, some big status about him. Um, from his previous performances, but kind of like dropping out a little bit now. I think that that would be a great scalp to take. And um, yeah, I just think that that would be good. I just don't, don't want to see him jumping up too quick, even though he's doing absolutely amazing. But uh, Joe, you know what? Get him on the main card. Get him fighting someone between ranks 20 and 15. And and then when he wins that fight, which he will, um, then he can start breaking through and, and really start making a noise and putting himself into contention. You know, it could be within two, three years of being a title holder. I think it's very, very possible. You say Vera, Danny. Vera's last three fights, uh, he lost to Yardong. Then he beat Sean O'Malley uh, via a TKO. And then he lost to Jose Aldo. So, like, yeah. if Jack was to t have that fight, and he was, if he was to win, they're the next lot of names, aren't they? Like, and that's, yeah, they are. That's how, that's how close he is to to making that sort of next step up, I think, isn't it? Um, yeah, in yeah. terms of where he goes next. So it'll be interesting what they do with him. Um, okay, let's move on to the main card. Uh, the first fight, which was a really enjoyable fight, was uh, D-Rod. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez beat Mike Perry. A very different Mike Perry, may I add, that we've than we've seen recently. Um, but uh, Rodriguez picked up the victory via unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-27, um, I thought this one was relatively one-sided. It wasn't like a complete uh, decimation, but it was pretty one-sided. I'll tell you one thing, though, uh, Danny. Mike Perry can take a punch. Oh, man, yeah. His face showed it as well. He, he was really, really banged up. But he did impress me. He looked more like how you would expect a UFC fighter to conduct himself. Sometimes he's he looks so rugged. 
Yeah, he's looked so rugged, uh, rugged uh, previously, and you never know what shape he's been in. You know, he's had questionable corner back up and, and so on and so forth. But my period is looking really good. I think he, he, he had the means to win in the first couple of rounds, doing the takedowns against Roy Judy. It started looking really good. I was really surprised. Um, but then as he began to tire, I think sometimes his cardio is a little questionable. He began to sort of fade each round. And Roy Judy just started to take it over with his hands and started really marking Perry up. Perry was <laughs> under to to the ground. And just started to slip from his grasp. But I think it was all for the taking for him. But, yeah, it just seems like his gas tank started to run short. It's kind of standing in front of Rodriguez in the end. And he was just getting so damaged up. But it, he's such a tough cookie. You're not going to get him out of there um, so easily. But, you know, taking damage is not winning fights. And it was a little bit unfortunate because, like I say, he was really impressing me for the first couple of rounds. But just dwindled uh, and looked less energetic and become more of a target for Rodriguez. Yeah, he took some big shots. Um, he didn't seem to be seeing that that left hand coming over the top, um, mm. or straight through the middle, really. Um, so obviously, previously he had been going in without a coach and just with his girlfriend or whatever in his corner. This fight, he had uh, a an amateur fighter with him, but he has signed or he's gone to a new gym and he's got a new head coach. I don't know if they were involved in this camp or if it's something that he's recently because they interviewed his uh, his new coach on one of the you know one YouTube or something. And yeah, yeah. They kind of said you know he, he, going forward he's going to be with them, but they would noticeably you know they weren't with him. He was with this this fighter. Um, Paul, what do you make of uh, of this fight? But also like Mike Perry, he seems like he's got some talent, but. Um, also a bit unpredictable maybe yeah um I, to be honest I, I thought he did really well in the first round he started using his grappling um i actually think he's probably a better grappler than he is striker to be honest with you but obviously he's got mm. so much power with his hands and he's so aggressive you know he likes to throw his hands a lot but i've, I've really been impressed with his wrestling and the grappling to be honest with you um mm. so maybe and obviously if he's moved to a, a new gym as Danny will tell you, it takes quite a while to sort of mesh with the coaches and the you know, the other fellow fighters and stuff. You know, you can't just go to a gym and uh, go to a team and expect it to click straight away. It does take a, a quite a, quite an adjustment time for you to settle in. So probably in another one or two fights, you might see a, a new version of him. You know, um, just jumping from team to team doesn't always doesn't always. Uh, correct things straight away you know obviously it takes time um so but you know he, i mean he's, he's a very good fighter I, I think he conducted himself really well um but he's still a little bit rough around the edges i think he probably just needs a bit more yeah sort of finesse really behind of what he's doing you know um going mm -hmm. back to jack shaw by the way i'd like to see him fight nathaniel wood to be honest with you oh yeah that would be a good one that would be a tail wouldn't it yeah, they will save that. Yeah, because uh, if 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 you think if you think back, um, Nathaniel Wood uh, fought um, Jack's teammate, which was Josh Reed, was it on the Cage Warriors? Yeah, yeah Do you remember that round yeah. that they had? And I think so, yeah, and I think he went to the UFC, you know, from then. Um, and I think those two, obviously, two top prospects, you know, and I don't think Nathaniel's in the top fifteen. I don't think. No, I um, so I think that would be a really season. good fight, especially if, if 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 can you imagine that would be a main event on a UK card? You know, like a fight yeah, night or something. 
Yeah. If yeah. they go back, because there was a there yeah. was a UFC London card, wasn't there, which was cancelled because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, like right back in yes. the first lockdown, and I think once everything opens yeah. up properly, they'll want to get that on as soon as possible. Um, but mm. then I know um, that a lot of the Welsh fighters have been pushing for a, a couple of years now for a UFC in Cardiff as well. So you could do UFC Cardiff with. Uh, uh, Jack Shaw versus Nathaniel Wood at the main event. That would be an incredible atmosphere. So there's there's a few cities around the yeah. UK which I think would like to throw their hats in the ring for a, a UFC card. But ultimately, I think we all agreed we'd like to see UFC back in the UK sooner rather than later. And then yeah. that would I agree that would be a, a, a fantastic main event. Um, and I'm sure Leon Edwards would want on that card as well. Um, mm-hmm. Among you know, and this, and let's be honest, there's some, there's some really high level uh, UK based fighters and UK fighters in the UFC at the moment, um, both male and female. So they could make up a, a really strong, uh, strong UFC card for a, a London show or a, a UK based show. Um, very quickly, Dan, how impressive was? Uh, Daniel Rodriguez in this fight. I mean, really, really, really has impressed me. Uh, his last couple of goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's proven himself, isn't he? He's, his performances have been good of late. Um, this was a good tester for him to to show his pedigree, and I think he's done it. You know, he's he's going to be stepping up. Uh, I don't know who they'll offer him next, but I think they'll offer him someone fairly quickly, and um, we're going to see him start getting into re- relevancy very, very soon. Yeah, I think they'll they'll offer him a, a big fight. I would have thought now. Yeah. Uh, next up was uh, the fight you told me, Dan, that you were really looking forward to uh, last week, which was Nina Nunes versus Mackenzie Dern, and uh, Mackenzie yeah. Dern did not disappoint. Yeah, she's just so good on the ground. I mean, she's becoming a good striker as well. She's improved but, a hell of a lot, hasn't she? Yeah, but on the ground, she's just so, so dangerous. And, and Nunes really got exposed. I mean, it was an armbar from guard, not something that you see, you know, working so 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 often. But the girls seem to make them work more often than the men do. Um, mm-hmm. But spinning around from guard like that's such a jiu-jitsu technique and execute it so well. And you've really got to have live hips. And Mackenzie Dern's definitely got all of that. She's got very, very live hips. She's got hips right up underneath that elbow and made short work of it. I mean, what can you say about the performance, really? Um, she got into the area that she's obviously most proficient in, and she expressed that. And, yeah, Nunes got put out of there pretty damn quickly. Uh, very impressive performance. Yeah, I thought she, uh, the patience as well as she was trying to get the arm bar, like she didn't get frustrated as Nunes was kind of holding on, wasn't she, to try and... I think it was towards the end of the round. Yeah, yeah, twelve seconds. I think was left. Yeah, she didn't. um, She didn't get too frenetic trying to get it. She just, you know, gradually got the pieces. She was in control. She knew she was in control. Um, Paul, what did you think of Mackenzie Dern's performance? She's improved a lot over the these past uh, couple of fights, particularly. Yeah, she's showing she's uh, really well well rounded. Her wrestling has improved as well. Um, obviously, on the on the floor, she's an absolute beast. Um, she's out of the ladies. She's probably got the best jujitsu in in uh, that division for sure. You know, I'd like to see her against someone like Tatiana Suarez, who's got the wrestling as well. You know how that would be, yeah. uh, out. That'd be a good mm. fight. Uh, but yeah. yeah, she's 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 she's. I think probably 
maybe one or two fights away from a title shot, I think. Yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. It's, um, I've been, Danny, I know you've been very impressed with Mackenzie doing the last couple of the goals, but it's just, um, for me, it's the, the improvement uh, that she shows with every goal. And, you know, they're the fighters that stand out, aren't they? It's the ones that address any issues as they keep winning. Because yeah. even though they're winning, they're not sit resting on their laurels. They keep keep learning, keep improving, and um, it's the best way to develop. Obviously, yeah, um, yeah. Next up was Sam Alvey versus uh, Julian Marquez. Um, I I've not been massively impressed with Sam Alvey uh, in recent times. I felt like he's looked a bit sluggish, and he's been very reliant on those kind of the loading mm. up those big knockout shots. And if they don't come, he gets caught uh, relatively, I don't want to say easily, but he just, if he doesn't get his big shots in, he does seem to get set up for certain things quite easily. And uh, Julian Marquez got that rear naked choke victory about two minutes into the second round. And he seemed, I'm sure it wasn't as easy as it looked, but he seemed to get it on relatively simple once he hit those big shots. Yeah, I think Marquez rocked him, didn't he? Uh, and yeah, as Elvis went down, he was still, you know, he still had birds flying around his head along with some yeah. stars. And uh, yeah, he, he, he can't just didn't respond to, to the grappling exchange that ensued really, really quickly after that. Um, yeah, Elvis, I agree. It's not looked impressive. Uh, he looks a little untidy, rough around the edges. Not, not too technical, don't, doesn't always make the greatest decisions, but it can be awkward for some people. We've seen him be effective before, um, but yeah, overall, it doesn't impress me. And uh, I'm not surprised that Marquez uh, got the victory. It's more of a case of how is he going to get the victory for me? And, you know, Marquez just, he's just got to fight who and what is in front of him. And uh, yeah, an opportunity to win was going to present itself at some stage, as far as I was concerned with this matchup. And it presented itself in the grappling exchanges after after rocking Alvis. So, yeah, good for Marquez. Um, but overall, yeah, no, that matchup is not super interesting for me personally. Um, I watched it because we had to, and um, and and to make notes about it. But yeah, it it was so so. I just watched it. I went through the motions really with that one. Were you, um, Paul? Were you impressed with the the patience which Marquez showed to, you know, to be able to get into the position that he needed to to get the shots and then ultimately get the submission. He didn't get too overexcited uh, early on. Yeah, he was picking his shots really well from the outside. He was uh, didn't rush, you know. Um, they did sort of uh, have some heavy exchanges between them and they were both landing at certain stages. But obviously, once he caught Alvi and uh, he, he did drop him and obviously Alvi couldn't defend the... Uh, the rear naked choke because obviously his head was still buzzing from being yeah. lit up on the feet. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, it was a bit of a savage finish as well, you know, no hooks, yeah. just yeah, sink it straight in, you know. <laughs> so yeah, he, he was, he was impressive. You know, he picked his shot, he picked his shots really well. And he, you know, when he went in for the kill, he, he certainly uh, didn't leave any, uh, any questions answered there, did he? <laughs> no, he just just choked him, didn't he? Brutally, like no hooks. Brutally, just, yeah. Just mm -hmm. uh, just got it done. Yeah. Um. So next up was a recent guest on the show, 
Arnold or Mighty Allen, ranked number 10, versus uh, Sadiq Youssef, ranked number 11, uh, in the co-main event. And this was, uh, on paper, a tr very tricky fight for Arnold Allen. Sadiq Youssef has, uh, has been impressive. He's got some, some really sharp skills. So it was going to be very interesting to see how this fight went. Um, I thought, just personally, uh, I thought Arnold Allen was very clever, very impressive in this fight. He's um, he's got quite an unusual technique, but his uh, his footwork is just so good and so quick. His head movement as well is, uh, is for me is particularly impressive. Just how he evades any of those big shots and um, just really really impressive performance. He he knocked Sadiq Yusuf down in the first with a big left hand. Then he knocked him down with a head kick in the second round. Wasn't able to get the finish. But ultimately, uh, head head move head movement and footwork were a delight, and his left hand was beautiful, and uh, he picked up uh, an impressive victory uh, by unanimous decision. Um, Paul, we'll go to you first time for this one. Um, what did you make of Arnold Arnold Allen's uh, performance and how he dealt with Sadiq Yusuf's uh, skills? Yeah, he showed a really mature uh, performance, actually. Picked his shots, didn't get into any wild exchanges when he didn't need to. Uh, wrestled when he had to, uh, especially in the third round. Um, yeah, he looked, re he looked really good. Uh, I've always been impressed with him as well, because I remember seeing him on the regional scene as well um, when he was coming up through the ranks. And he just seems to be um, going from strength to strength. It was a, a very difficult fight to have, because uh, Sadiq Yusuf is really explosive. Um, you know, quite fast. Um, but yeah, he really controlled the fight really well and just a well-deserved win, you know? Yeah, was it, do you think it was quite a mature mature performance by Arnold Allen? Because even he did seem to fatigue a little bit in that third round. And, you know, he, like yeah. you mentioned there, he used his wrestling and the clinch to negate any, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Sadiq would have gone chasing a little bit, feeling that he was probably two rounds down. So to negate that mm. and the fatigue, I thought it was quite uh, quite cleverly done. Yeah, yeah, that, he showed uh, great maturity on that, you know, um, just trying to slow the pace of the fight down, in, you know, when he was ahead as well. Um, so, mm. yeah, yeah, hats off to him. It was very good. Uh, and Danny, what did you make of Arnold's performance? Because uh, obviously we spoke to the man a few weeks back and uh, yeah. we were both in... Uh, both uh, impressed by what a cool head he had on his shoulders and very down to earth, but um, he's got some killer skills. That's for yeah, he absolutely has. I mean, that Yusuf, he, he's a very, very good athlete himself. Um, you know, th th I thought that it's going to be. I thought he was going to be a little closer than it was. Um, I know Yusuf's very, very dangerous. He just didn't seem to have an opportunity presenting itself enough to him. You know, it was him that was getting rocked rather than Arnold Allen. Um, Arnold Allen always looked like the one that could perhaps get it put away at the end of that mm. fight. Um, but you're right, he was looking a little bit tired in that third round, but he had worked so hard. You know, there was something going on at all times. He, even though it wasn't like a sprint fight, there was something going on constantly. Um, Arnold Allen really put the grind on. Um, a couple of times I think he made... Uh, the clinch a little bit hard for himself. He, he a couple of times entered in on the hip and lower and was down on both knees, um, which is normally not a good idea. 
Um, I was quite surprised that he come down on two knees like that. But sometimes I think that just happens because of the, the exhaustion of those constant exchanges in, in that wrestling range. It, it's just not easy against one, someone like that, Yusuf. I'm not surprised that it was a bit debilitating. But yeah, look, a seasoned, good performance against a very, very good martial artist. Um, Arnold Allen is moving on up. You know, he's get, getting a very, very impressive record now. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be seeing this kid soon and, and this kid up against some much more highly contested athlete, I think, real soon. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to give him next now. So, quick question. You know, you said there about um, Sadiq Yusuf didn't get the opportunity to, to perhaps nail one of those shots or to mm -hmm. rock Arnold Allen. Is that because of some of the things with the eye that caught my eye that I mentioned, like his footwork and his head movement, I thought particularly whenever Sadiq was able to get a good shot in, Arnold Allen was either able to evade it with his head movement, be out of range with his footwork, or he was getting his elbow up a lot to, to, to protect yeah. himself. So does yeah, he, he deserve the credit for, you know, for negating absolutely. Sadiq's tools? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he was um, entering in on the wrestling at the right time um he defended just enough but not overly so so he was bringing yusuf onto him he just defended when he had to but then he's pushing back on with his own proactivity um it's a little bit like what we were saying about jack shaw just made really good decisions and stopped yusuf being effective and i think if you let someone like yusuf sort of get, get away with his techniques and, and stuff he starts introducing that physical power that he's got you're going to be in for a hard night he just he just looked like he got closed down by Arnold Allen through tactics and strategy. It was a, a clever, clever performance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've got to ask you. Um, obviously, we'd like to talk about the uh, the British fighters. Um, Arnold Allen. Uh, he was already ranked ten. He's picked up an impressive victory. Maybe, you know, he would have been hoping for a finish to to really push up those rankings. Where do you see him going uh, next? Well, who have we got in the few places above him? Because he's going to move up, obviously, from that. He could be really on the cusp of so fighting he, someone in that top he? six or seven. Forget. Wait, uh, lightweight, didn't he? Is he lightweight? I always get confused. Yeah, lightweight. Featherweight. Featherweight, sorry. Man. Featherweight. Featherweight, featherweight, featherweight. Where's the featherweight rankings? have a look yeah of course he's 145 isn't he yeah there's a, a big pool of right weights. so uh before the fight just above him was jeremy stevens dan ike josh emmett kelvin Qatar, uh chan sung young yaya rodriguez zabit uh brian ortega max holloway and then volkanovsky uh, any of those names jump out for you straight away, uh, Paul? Who you'd like to see Arnold Allen face? That's a murderer's role, that is, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Just. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a tough one, no um, matter what. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a serious top ten now. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I uh, uh, I would I wouldn't see. mind Dan and Dan Danny I think would be a, a that's what I was going to say because he's just had a very quick yeah. but very impressive performance hasn't he lately so yeah I think that that would be out of place for a good bit of viewing Jeremy Stevens who's yeah, I think he's got a fight well. scheguled yeah Jeremy um, Stevens maybe I think that that'd be a good 
Yeah. Good little. Uh, That'd be a good fight, he's Jeremy Stevens. A bit a big name, isn't yeah. it? And Stevens is coming off the back of a loss yeah. to um, Calvin Qatar as well. So a good fight. Oh, actually, Jeremy Stevens, I just noticed, is on a two-fight losing streak because he lost to Yair, Yair Rodriguez as well. Um, and Jeremy Stevens hasn't fought since May last year, and before that, it was October the year before. So I'm yeah. sure he's looking for a fight. So maybe. Arnold Allen versus Jeremy Stevens does make the most sense as the, yeah. as the kind of next one up. It's um, yeah, that's it. I think that's a good good shout. Well done, S. Um, so then we had the main event, uh, as we mentioned at the start of the show. Kevin Holland making a quick turnaround after his loss to uh, Derek Brunson recently. He filled in for Darren Till, who broke his collarbone, unfortunately. Um, interestingly, Darren Till said after the fight, that he would destroy uh, Vittori over five rounds, um, which I found quite interesting. He was very quick to say, but you know, <laughs> he's, he's never one to be quiet with his views, I suppose, is Darren. But um, he also has also got the skills to back it up, in fairness. So it'll be, I would say that fight will probably happen once uh, his collarbone's all healed up. Um, so the score was 50-44 across the boards, Marvin Vittori, I don't think there was any doubt about the, you know, the decision. Um, Marvin Vittori marches on. He did not want to get involved in particularly in the striking to a massive degree, Danny, did he? Holland looks sharp. He looks sharp. Yeah, he looks looked looked um, He's obviously rangy. There's a, a big difference in height and reach there. And he looked like if he, if Vittori was going to play it stupid and stay on it out of fringes, he was getting tagged up very, very early, and he wanted no part of it. It's nice to see Vittori um, choose to be strategical about the match and show some maturity. Um, it was a good performance for him. He, he hit Holland where he's been shown to have weaknesses. Um, he still had those weaknesses there, and, and he exploited them to the fullest. He really, really did. Um, really, the only real risk was as the rounds progressed, was Vittori going to get tired, which we have seen in previous fights although not in his last two performances. I think he's held his cardio up very, very well. Um, he normally stands and bangs quite hard, doesn't he? He can um, fade out a little bit as the rounds go on. But Vidori was looking really seasoned, looking in good shape. And, um, yeah, he, he was impressive. I'm just a little bit worried about what's going to happen with, with Kevin Holland now. He, he is such a you know, such a fighter full of potential, but he's got to get that hole in his game sorted out. He's got to get it sorted out, whether it's about changing teams, bringing a certain coaching, I don't know. The, the, the errors in his game are really quite obvious and therefore should be not necessarily an easy fix, but something that can be addressed from the get-go. And um, we did see a more serious Holland this time around, which was nice to see, not playing around as much, taking it seriously. You know what? I actually think he would have had some kind of room to try to get a win. But I think that I got damaged so early on. Yeah. I really think that affected him. I, I really don't think he could have seen out of it uh, No properly. way could he see. When the yeah, when that doctor think... asked him, there was no way he could see. He went, yeah. Uh, uh, no, yeah, I could see you. But, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and I, think... I just wanted to ask yeah. you a quick question, Daddy. Sorry, mate. Um, was... I thought Marvin Vittori showed phenomenal uh, self-control and maturity because what Kevin Holland did this time around when he was talking is he, there was a reason why he was talking to Vittori because he was trying to taunt him into standing and banging. 
and yeah. the Tory didn't fall for it. So when they were wrestling in the first couple of rounds, Kevin Holland was in his ear saying, you don't want to fight, you don't want to stand and bang. You know, he was giving it all that because he knew that if Vittori kept his cool and was strategic about it, he was going to wrestle him for five rounds and win the fight. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with Kevin Holland doing that. It was very different to what he did against Derek Brunson. Like, the Derek Brunson thing felt a bit disrespectful and like he wasn't taking it seriously. Yeah. Whereas this time round, I felt like it was a strategic move to try and irritate uh, Vittori into standing and banging. Which he has done before in other fights, and I thought he yeah. was very. I thought Vittori had to show that bit of self control because they'd had words in the in the build up, so for, yeah. there was a bit of uh, a bit of needle there. So yeah. it would have been easy for him to go right, you know, let's let's have it sort of thing. Sure. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, and I I do agree with you with Kevin Holland. There's holes in his game he needs to work on clearly. But I also think that there's clearly uh, enough potential there that we shouldn't, or at least Dana White and the UFC shouldn't be looking at things like cutting him, like because no, there's, there's too much mm. there. Clearly, he just needs to work with the right people. But I'm just a fan. Let's throw to another expert in Paul Sutherland. Did anything which I just said make sense? Or was I talking rubbish? <laughs> Let me answer that. <laughs> no, you've had your <laughs> very good, mate. Very good. Um, yeah, I, I thought Vittori uh, took the sort of like the right process to win the fight. I think initially, I think he did want to start uh, striking with him, but he was having problems with the range and the speed of um, Holland. I thought, and then he made an in-fight adjustment. Let's go to the wrestling. Obviously, that was always in his back pocket anyway, you know, if he was having problems. And uh, I think he did a fantastic job. Um, good decision maker. Didn't waver off the game plan, you know, once he made the adjustments. And I thought his, his uh, um, top game was really, really good. You could see he's got a lot of top pressure there. He was trying to advance and pass Holland's guard a lot of the time. He mounted him a couple of times as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, he looked really, really good. Uh, on the flip side, Kevin Holland... Again, a really talented guy. I think he probably needs uh, just a little bit of time to evolve his game a little bit, just on his wrestling. Um, I think he's yeah. a real top prospect, and uh, I think he can still be a force in the top ten of that division. To be honest with you, um, he probably mm. just needs just a little bit of time, maybe not take another fight next week or something, you know. And yeah. uh, you know, um, just take some time. I think he was supposed to be going, from what I read, he was supposed to be going to AKA. Um, and then he, t he took the fight. Um, so if he does decide to go to AK and train with Daniel Cormier and stuff, you know, just sure up his wrestling, I think, yeah, mm. we could have something there, you know? I agree. Yeah, 100% agree. I think, um, yeah, that's the best thing you could do now is not take another fight with a quick turnaround because mm. you've got no time to address anything then. If you, if, you, or you've, if you go straight into another fight camp, you're preparing for another opponent and it's... You've got no time to, you know, to really address anything then, if you because you're preparing. Um, all right, uh, just to finish us off then, very quickly, I'm gonna uh, throw the matches for next week's UFC at you and ask you to give me a prediction on who's going to win. It's a very, very uh, jacked card actually. So um, 
we'll start with okay. the main uh, as uh, I'll, I'll stop can go I on. stop you there can I stop you yeah there? yeah go on obviously as an uh, uh, as an official I never make predictions yeah okay uh, I, just obs- <laughs> I observe <laughs> fights I, 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 I would never make a prediction so I'll stop <laughs> you right now <laughs> so how, how, about, how about this then if Danny Danny and me Danny and me will give predictions we'll just say yeah. who we think is going to win and you could talk about how you think the fight will go in terms of whether it'll be a strike fest or a wrestle fest or that sort of thing. A general overview. Would that work? I'm happy with that. I'm happy with, right. I'm happy with that. There yeah. we go. Okay. <laughs> so the main event is uh, Robert Whittaker versus Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, I think Robert Whittaker is going to win. Danny, who do you think is going to win? I think Whittaker is going to win. I think he's just more complete. Okay. And uh, Paul, how do you see the fight generally going? Um, I think uh, if it's on his feet, I think Robert Whitaker is a really he controls distance really, really well because he's obviously got the seems like he's got like a karate background, um, so he controls the distance really well. Um, but if you look at um, Gastelum's last fight, he used a lot of wrestling as well, you know. And he, he, yeah. he won the fight via, you know, his grappling. Yeah, so that I was a surprise. All depends. That was a shocker. Yeah, it all depends how that sort of pans out in, in, in the rounds, really. It's a five round, I assume, as well. It is, so yeah. that could be interesting as well, you know. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's how I see it. Obviously, I, I think uh, even though Whitaker's very, very difficult to take down, I think if Gas- Gastelum can mix it up, it'll obviously give him a few problems. And then, obviously, Whitaker mm-hmm. with his footwork, and distance control and speed, I think is obviously you know hard to deal with as well on the feet. So, yeah, it's going to be a good one to watch. Cool. And uh, then we've got um, I would class these as two co-main events really. Um, so we just talked about one of them, one of the competitors, Jeremy Stevens, is fighting next week. I did not realise that uh, he's fighting Drakkar Closer, uh, who's not someone I'm massively familiar with. Um, so I'm going to go with the uh, the newcomer in Drakkar Closer, Danny. Who you got? I'm going to go Stevens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, now this one could be a bit more difficult for you to talk about, uh, Paul, if you're if you're not familiar like me with Drakkar Closer, but we'll yeah. ask anyway. Yeah, I've I've seen, um, yeah, I've seen Drakkar Closer a few times, and yeah. uh, he likes to stand and bang like Jeremy Stevens. So I think this is going to be. Absolutely explosive because I don't see either one of those guys taking the fight to the floor. So um, I think both guys are going to just go, go out there and throw leather, you know. So it's, it's going to be a good mm-hmm. one because Drakkar Close is super aggressive and uh, so is Jeremy Stevens, you know. So yeah, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's going to be an absolute banger, which is good. I'm going to check out Drakkar Closer now um, and have a look at some of his previous fights. Um, and the other fight I wanted to talk about was uh, the heavyweight bout. Andre Arlovsky versus Chase Sherman. Danny, who's got this one? Ah, uh, because uh, yeah, Arlovsky lost recently, didn't he? But, but I still think I still rate him. I, I think he's st- still got it, man. I, I'm going to stick with Arlovsky. Um, I'm going to go with Chase Sherman. Let's let's go with the uh, opposites. Just uh, just you know, just for the competition side of it. Um, and then our general overview of the fight from Paul Sutherland. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting that one because I think Chase Sherman is this is second time in the UFC. Um, he, he was he was in there first. Yeah, he was in there first. I think he he left and then he came back. Cause he was doing 
he was the bare knuckle champion, wasn't he, or something over in America? So um, he's a former boxer. So Chase Sherman's uh, pretty aggressive. I can't see him taking it to the floor. Uh, obviously, Alovsky lost to Tom Aspinall last fight yeah. pretty That's quickly. Right. So it's a quick turnaround as well. So, and generally, Alovsky doesn't tend to use his wrestling and stuff, but what he has got, he's got that veteran sort of savvy where he can slow mm. the fight down. And he's a very good uh, round winner as well. If you look at um, quite a few of his last fights, he's been beaten like the young guys coming up because he's been running the rounds and been, you know, um, very active in each round. So he's, he's, mm. he's a decent round winner, even though he's, you know, um, sort of like in the latter stage of his career. So I think that could be interesting. I think Chase Sherman's, you know, obviously got big power in his hands. Um, it depends which Olofsky comes out though, but yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah, one. do you know what, Paul? I'm so impressed with um, with just your general knowledge of fighters and stuff because, like, we've just thrown that on you in literally like three minutes ago. Me yeah. and Danny are I've... both terrible with names, we can't remember half the names of the fighters <laughs> yeah. we watch. I can't week. pronounce my students' uh, names, and then you just throw, <laughs> you've, yeah, yeah. you've given us a uh, You've given us fight analysis off the fly, and I, I tell you, I cannot fault you for that whatsoever. But um, you I'm a nerd. Right. I'm, I'm a fight nerd. All I oh, do is just watch it. fights and I analyze people. I'm, a, I'm an absolute nerd, mate. You know, so absolutely love it. But <laughs> interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, um, Chase Sherman was scheduled to fight Parker Porter, but Porter was removed from the event um, for undisclosed reasons, um, quite late in the day as well. And he wow. was replaced by Anton Andre Olofsky. Um So there's going to be interesting because you, you know, Olofsky's come in on short notice, which you know is always you know a risk depending on how much of a fight camp they've been in and stuff like that. You don't know which Olofsky's going to turn up, like um, and uh, Porter, who was scheduled to fight initially had made his initial debut at UFC in August last year. Uh, he lost by a stoppage, but he had taken the fight on nine days' notice. Then he won against Josh Parishian uh, in November last year, and he was scheduled for this Chase Sherman fight. So that was going to be a, a good one. Andre Arlovsky, you know, on his day, could be any heavyweight. But yeah. has his day gone, Danny? We shall gone. see. I think he's, he's kept himself in very, very good shape oh, considering yes. where he's in the sport is. And, um, yeah, I don't know. He's still it. capable. He's still very, very capable. Absolutely. 100%. He's older than me, and I guarantee, you know, he's in better better shape than me, mate. I tell you that. Much. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's about it. That's us, and I will think we'll call it a show there. The I have one more question yeah. for you, um, Paul. Um, you mentioned you had hip replacement um, earlier. Uh, yeah. I've got to have a knee replacement uh, at some point in the next mm -hmm. year or so. And uh, I was just wondering what the recovery was like, because my father-in-law had his hip replaced, and it was quite a quick turnaround from what I remember in terms of, you know, once you've had it, they kind of get you up on your feet and stuff like that. Um, but also, he, had to, he ended up having to have his replaced because there was a problem with the joint. But what I wanted to ask, basically, was yeah. about the recovery and also... Because my um, my mobility is not very good anyway. I walk with a walking stick because I've had uh, several back surgeries and fusions. Like, what was, yeah, basically, what's the recovery like in a long-winded way? 
Uh, hit replacements. I had a, you can either have um, hit resurfacing, but I had a total hit replacement. So um, is that when they cut part of the leg away it, and they give you the ball joint? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, basically. So um, I was like, for years, I've been in a, a lot of pain and it was just getting worse and worse and worse because obviously I had uh, osteoarthritis of the hip. Um, just literally had two bones just grinding together. Uh, so the pain was really, really bad. So, yeah. Um, so when I had to see a consultant, he basically said, oh, if you have a hip replacement, you're probably not going to be able to do martial arts again, blah, blah, blah. Give me all the spiel just for safety, I think. Mm. And um, had the hip replacement. I was in hospital for, uh, I think it was four days. Um, they get you up on like a Zimmer frame for the first day and then they progress yeah. you to crutches crutches pretty quickly. So I was on crutches for, I think it was about seven weeks. Um, and then I was just doing my rehab, um, going to um, see a physio and stuff to aid my rehab. But I was literally back in my gym uh, teaching, you know, with one crutch after about a week. <laughs> so no, after about no. a week, I was back in the gym yeah. teaching. Yeah, yeah. And then um, just stringently went through my rehab and stuff, and I started light grappling probably four months in. And then now it's 18 months since I've had I've had it done. And I, I when I grapple now, I don't really feel it too much. Um, I, my sort of quality of life is much better because I was literally on painkillers all the time, you know, just yeah. to stem the pain. Like but like now I don't take any painkillers, you know, I, I, you know, I can do pretty much everything that I did before. Um, so yeah, I mean, personally, I, if anybody had that sort of problem, I'd recommend to have it done just to get your quality of life back, let alone anything else, right. you know, because uh, obviously living like that when you're in pain, you know, it's not, not the best thing in the world, you know? So um, even just walking up a set of stairs was just like, so bad and you know you were limping everywhere and you know just walking for you know half a mile or something you'd have to stop or you know things like that you know but uh obviously since i've had it done i've had a return back to the mats and training you know i very rarely feel it when i'm training you know um yeah so yeah yeah i, I would recommend everybody anybody having it done if they've got that problem you know mm -hmm. can't fault you i'm glad to hear. glad to hear that it's uh, improved your quality of life mate and uh, yeah, even more has, yeah. glad to say, mate, that it's been an absolute pleasure to have you join us this evening. Um, and I really, really enjoyed listening to you talk. Like, clearly a very, very knowledgeable chap on uh, all things martial arts and everything else. And um, it's just been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, are you on uh, any social medias at all where people can uh, sort of follow you or anything like that? Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much, obviously, for having me on the uh, podcast. Really enjoyed it. Um, my social media, uh, my Instagram is Pulse of MMA, and my gym is Trojan Gloucester or Trojan Free Fighters Gloucester, um, right across the board. So anybody can contact me on there, and obviously I share videos and stuff with training and you know things like that. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I can be reached. Good on those. stuff. Good stuff, Danny. As ever, mate, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a good weekend chat and, and Paul, it's nice to finally sit down and talk to you properly because like I have to say to so many guests, I see you on the circuit, don't get to talk to you much, but you know, I've got to obviously ask you yeah. when we was at Cage Warriors, you know, would you mind coming on to 
the, the, the show and um, we had pictures taken together. And this guy's still in amazing shape, so I, I put my arm around him. I was like, Jesus, man, he, he, he's solid all over. I'm like, oh, my body ain't like that, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm, I'm soft and squishy everywhere but um yeah really great and, and like i pointed out you know i i knew you as an intelligent guy i've heard many things about you and uh, as a person and as a coach and i knew you was going to be pretty special i did give you a um, a courtesy call didn't i before we come on and said that i've been wanting to get you on for a long time i did eavesdrop your name to say said look we gotta get paul sutherland on you know um he's gonna be a pretty special guest and it's been one of my most enjoyable ones so thanks for your time because it's been two hours that have been on here but i've enjoyed every minute yeah. of it and you're always welcome to come back on as well paul and you know the the breakdown has been utterly impressive and to be able to say not only we have Paul Sutherland but a UFC judge I mean that's just an amazing thing for our podcast to say that we've had you on here and good luck with the future and like I say come back on sometime nearer down the line and we'll, we'll be back chatting again together in no time yeah. thank you very much guys and I really appreciate that Danny always good yeah. to see you as well on the circuit you know so thank you very yeah. much indeed uh, guys Subscribe youtube.com slash ace podcast nation. Tell your friends Danny Batten Fight Show. You can follow it at Danny Batten FS on Twitter and Instagram to uh, keep up to date on the latest shows and latest guests. And everything is on Ace Podcast Nation. Just uh, search us on social media. Until then, we bid you farewell. See you next Wednesday for another episode of the Danny Batten Fight Show with another top guest from the fight world. Good and tag. Defending champion, welcome to Podcast Network.